It is the 200 level episode 302, Mike Carpenter in the basement on this Monday evening, November 21st. It's Thanksgiving week, and I was fortunate enough to celebrate the first of two Thanksgivings as we went to Michigan this weekend with Kara's family up in the Ann Arbor area, so I'll get to that in a bit, but it was a nice way to kind of shut off and still consume plenty of Illini sports, which I did. All three of the revenue sports games that were of most interest to us, and Suffice to say, despite the one and two record, it was overall, I think, a positive weekend. Oh, but how great of a weekend it could have been. And isn't that kind of the story of Illinois fandom is that we get so excited and and we can taste, almost taste, how good it would feel. And that's what Saturday especially was like. And then ultimately you're left feeling a little bit empty. But I will say that with some reflection and with some time, I'm not despondent. I'm not depressed. Certainly on Saturday at about 3.30 Eastern, I was bummed. And let's start with that. Let's start with the feeling of not getting the win against Michigan. And we'll get to basketball. Weird to start with football, but to me, that's still the thing that I'm holding on to most. And uh, if you're wanting to skip to basketball, probably go 20 minutes ahead and you'll get there. But about 3.30 Eastern on Saturday, after probably four or five different moments in that game where it felt like if we just get it done on this play. We're going to win. Ultimately, you see the field goal go in for the best kicker in college football. Of course, he was going to make it and a pretty futile effort to try to get a Hail Mary or something. And it is what it is. And I've experienced that before, that sense of emptiness and not getting to experience that sense of joy. What I've talked about often on this podcast is what I envy the most about other fan bases is that they've got to experience on a more consistent basis joy that I have not been able to when it comes to Illinois football. And they gave me that early this year, but in the last three weeks they haven't. And I know if I'm feeling that way, I can only imagine what it's like over there at the Smith Football Center. But it sucked. And the rest of the day, God bless Kara's family. They couldn't have been nicer. It was actually very nice to speak with my brother-in-law, who's a big Michigan fan. And we gave each other space in the second half. You know, we were both very quiet, but Kara and her mom and her sister noted, man, you guys are just exuding tension. And we were exuding tension in two very different ways. My brother-in-law, because he wants another crack at the college football playoff, and it would have been a major bummer, a a total blow if they would have lost that game. It would have been all the air coming out of the balloon. And he thought it was going to be a close game. And I I had this weird hunch going into that game that it was, and then Michigan scored quickly, and I thought, oh boy. But then he settled in, and it was a very competitive game. And when we went up 17-10, to I thought, holy crap, we're going to win. It wasn't, oh, I think we might be able to. It was like, "I I think we got this. It just seemed like that kind of day where everything was going right. And the announcers kept talking about the palpable tension at the big house, which was a rather paltry attendance. And let me tell you, understandably, because it was miserable up there. And it was not much better down here in Champaign, but it was windy and cold and miserable. That's why I gave the tickets away to a listener. And and he sent me a, a picture from their vantage point and said, hey, despite the outcome, had a great time. And I'm glad that I was able to give it to some Illini fans that got to experience that. But emptiness, right? And the rest of that Saturday, I didn't even want to think about trying to contextualize that game and what it meant for this football program. And then waking up on Saturday, Sunday, I should say, after getting a good 10 hours of sleep. And when you're a teacher, you notice that you kind of get backlogged on sleep that you need to get. And that's what I did. I essentially made up for it in one weekend in Michigan. So I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed right now. I woke up Sunday and 
Cameron's like, wow, you slept for 10 hours. Is it about the game? She thought I was maybe depressed enough to have been just in bed like, <laughs> you know, sobbing myself awake on Sunday morning because the game the day before. When in actuality, getting to sleep on it and thinking about it, I came to this moment of enlightenment. What do they call it for alcoholics at AA? Moment of realization. I'm not really sure, but clarity. That's it. Moment of clarity. I'm going with a line from Pulp Fiction. At least that's what Samuel Jackson's character tells John Travolta. I'm having a moment of clarity. Here's what it was. As I woke up Sunday, I realized that in my life, there had been two, let's call it special seasons before that I had experienced as an Illini football fan. 2001, 2007. 2001, they go 10-1 and in the regular season. Outright Big Ten champions. They kind of get smoked in the Sugar Bowl. But that team and that program and the fan base felt like we had arrived to the point where the very next year, if you recall this, before the 2002 season even started, there was a rap video that came out with Brandon Lloyd and a couple other guys. They made a rap video. This is how good they were feeling. They go five and seven. All the momentum is lost. The next year you win one game. The next year you win three. Ron Turner is done. 2007, the Rose Bowl year. You were seven and three, then eight and three after you beat Ohio State. You beat Northwestern, go nine and three. You go to the Rose Bowl, you get smoked, but there was a sense that you had arrived by virtue of having gone to the Rose Bowl. The next year, you go five and seven. Now, before I go any further with this comparison, let me say I'd much prefer to be nine and two knocking on the doorstep of the Citrus Bowl, let alone New Year's Six Bowl as we get ready for Northwestern. I would much prefer that. But let's go with what we have seven and four. Soon to be eight and four. And if not, we got big problems, but I'm not even worried about that. Soon to be eight and four. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is a different position for Illinois football in what would, in many other respects, be considered a magical season. By finishing this way, it'll be the first time in my lifetime that they've had a truly successful season, and yet they've been left wanting more. I can't speak for the guys that were on that 2002 or the 2008 teams after the Sugar and Rose Bowl, but it did seem to have a sense emanating from Memorial Stadium that that team felt pretty darn good about themselves and not in the most fruitful way. What we're probably going to have is a coaching staff, specifically Bielema, that will enter this offseason. And let's say they beat Northwestern, and let's say they win a bowl game. We're feeling good. Nine and four. Fan base is feeling great. And yet in that Smith Football Center will be a coaching staff that feels like they blew it and players on that team that felt like they blew it. And I kind of prefer that. Well, let me rephrase. I can live with that. Of course, I'd prefer 10-2 and in Citrus Bowl, okay? I'd prefer warm weather, bowl game, but we aren't going to get that probably. We are probably going to get the Music City Bowl, and in which case, I'll be there. Having talked to a few friends, that's something we would do, and I would enjoy it and Embrace the fact that eight and four is pretty damn good. Eight and four for year two of what is considered a rebuild is really good. And that if this is to be something that works long term and is truly successful beyond just one year of intermittent success and then you just kind of waffle back and forth. No, I would prefer the long term thing. I'd prefer the notion that this is not Brett Bielema's best team. That's what I'd prefer. Because if this thing's really going to take off, this can't be his best team. There are some individually great players. They've done things that no Illinois football team has done in 15 years, but 
if this is really going to work how we all want it to, this needs to be a, a season that we look back on and say, hey, okay, that got it going. Not, oh my God, remember the 2022 season. Well, that's kind of off the table. And while that while that immediate result or that immediate feeling of success, what do they call that? Um, oh God, the sensation of... Uh, People hate waiting for things, and I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Instant gratification. Jesus. Well, then instant gratification is not going to happen this year to the degree that we thought it would when you were 7-1. Now that I've taken a step back and realized, okay, you're 7-4, about to be 8-4, and four, and then play a pretty good team in a decent bowl game and, and feel like you're headed in the right direction. Isn't that everything we could have asked for coming into this season? Yeah. Now, before you think, boy, is carp getting soft on us, the Purdue loss was absolutely abysmal. I don't even care about the Michigan State loss now because it wouldn't have mattered, just like the Michigan loss would not have mattered. We all knew the Purdue game was it. Purdue looked fairly half-hearted against Northwestern. That was out and out a bad loss. It just was. And we can talk about officiating like the Devin Witherspoon interception that wasn't. Yep, that was BS. But we played pretty bad the rest of the game. We can talk about officiating calls in Michigan. And I know Brett Bielema did, and I don't mind that. Maybe I'll save that for after the sponsor. But overall, you found yourself in this position mostly because of the Purdue game. Had you beat Purdue and this was the result at Michigan, we'd be ecstatic. Not trying to find the silver linings here, right? And that's why I call this podcast the silver linings, and it's not me just attempting to find them. It's because I think there actually are silver linings to be had here. But if you had beat Purdue, oh, now, there is a path. On Friday, we'll know if that path is still open or not because Nebraska plays at Iowa, not the other way around, and you're going to need a Herculean effort by Nebraska that they've been hanging in there. I mean, it's not impossible, but I think it's a 10.5-point spread, and Iowa's offense has started to move the ball decently. So it would take Casey Thompson being out of his mind, but uh, – Do you see that happening? No, I probably see Iowa winning comfortably. That closes the door. And actually, if you ask me, and I know Isaac Ambrose feels the same way. We've been texting about this, me, him, and Trevor. If Iowa makes the Big Ten title game, better that than Purdue. Because I'm in this mindset of, well, if we can't have it, you can't have it either. Fine, let Iowa go again. Who cares? Because at that point, It's weird. I don't want another fan base to have the fun that we would have had. Iowa fans will say, oh, cool, another Big Ten title appearance. Purdue fans will be like, yay, this is amazing, just like we would have been. No, they don't get to have that fun, so neither – we don't get to have that fun, so neither should they. But that Purdue game looms large, and there were moments in the Michigan game that that loom large as well. So let's take this break right here for sponsors. In about a minute or two, let's get into – what could have been done better? Because while I call the silver linings, there are still things that need to be improved upon if this football program is going to take that next step. Before I get ahead of myself, though, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. You can order online, and don't let this Thanksgiving break dissuade you from that. I mean, first off, students are gone, so if you want to go pick it up, you can. But the best thing is they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online to dpdoe.com. That is dpdoe.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. And fortunately, we get a little bit of a reprieve from the absolutely frigid temperatures. But it's not too late to get a furnace check. I recommend you do. Ours is purring like a kitten. Thanks to the folks over at... 
uh, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. And let me get this number queued up, Cody. I apologize. There we go. It's 217-841-4728 for Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. That's 217-841-4728. Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. Go online and get a free quote at rectorconstruction.com. These guys are expert craftsmen, great customer service. I mean, Isaac Ambrose worked there, so you know that they got good people. And they're also townies like myself, and they give back to the community, so I do appreciate that. Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. We have life and auto not life and auto homeowners in auto with Brian. And we got that about two years ago. So we hit get the state farm prices you would expect, but it's the ease of communication with Brian and his staff that makes us really happy that we chose that. So go online to Brian is my for state farm agent, Brian Hansen, Brian is my guy.com. Alana inquire and the champagne showers podcast network partners with the 200 level. Hello, YouTube live viewers on this Monday evening, you know, it's not as much fun to talk about disappointments, and we will get to basketball, which is by no means a disappointment. But while we're on the subject of football, I want to hit this up from Big Tota. I realize that expectations change as the results change, but if we don't consider an eight or nine win season a success, then I'm not sure Illini fans can be satisfied. I think that's it, Big Tota. There was a tweet that I did not reply to on Friday, and whoever sent this to me, apologies for not giving you props on who you are. But the question was, if this 7-3, and three, if the wins were later and the losses came earlier, would you feel different? And the answer is, of course, because we would not have ridden that wave to the point of pure ecstasy. And essentially, the way I felt leaving that stadium against Minnesota and the way I felt after the Nebraska game, anticipating what was coming next, that was ecstasy. That was as good of a feeling as I've ever had as an Illini football fan because I anticipated what was to come. And it was right there in front of us. And I think the shame, Big Tota, is that you still could have had your cake and eat it too, but more modestly. It's not so much the games that you lost, it's who you lost to, right? Losing four games, being 7-4, and four, would not have been an issue, or I should say not have been as much of an issue. If, let's say, Virginia had taken one of them, and you eked out the Indiana game and you eked out the Purdue game. I don't know how it all shakes out, but let's just do that little trade-off. You lose to Virginia, but you beat Purdue. Yeah, early on you would have been worried, but I don't know. We're playing this game of revisionist history. I don't know if that really changes anything. To your point, Big Tota, I think that's just it. Seven, eight wins. Eight or nine wins. That's a success for Illinois football. And I've said that a million times. I don't need 10, 11 wins. I thought we were on the cusp of that this year. I don't need it, though. You know, as long as I can wake up on Saturdays. I woke up on Saturday thinking... I don't know why, but I think we might win. Gut feelings probably don't mean a whole hell of a lot. I had the same feeling Saturday morning as I did waking up for Wisconsin. Oddly, the Wisconsin game felt like a long time coming. It felt like this was the show me game and everything we'd seen in the Virginia and Chattanooga games, and honestly, even parts of the Indiana game told me that this team was actually pretty good, and I didn't buy Wisconsin. Take those two things together, a sleepy Wisconsin team and a hungry Illinois team with a couple extra days of rest. Well, for some reason, this Michigan game, there wasn't a lot suggesting to me that Illinois was going to win other than a gut feeling. It's not like the narratives were in Illinois' favor, 
But 17 and a half seemed like a lot for a team that was due for a non-sucky performance. I don't even think Illinois played their best performance on Saturday, but it goes to show you that this style of football that Brett, Brett Bielema plays will keep you in most every game. You were 7-4. and four. We're going to look at media guides years from now and say, God dang it, all those losses were one possession. All of them. And that kills me, right? I mean, Virginia, not Virginia, excuse me, Indiana, six points, I believe. Michigan State, eight points. Purdue, seven points. Michigan, one. Ugh. You know, the rest of Saturday night as we watched a little bit of football and then the score would flash and I'm like, God dang it, we would have been the story. If there is a missed opportunity, it's that it would have re-injected so much enthusiasm. I don't know. What would it have done for the Big Ten title chances? I don't even need to think about that because that's not going to happen. But it would have been enough where I I said, you know what, even if we don't make it to Indy but we get the Michigan win, that's a trade-off I'm willing to make because in a way... I would have taken 9-3 and three with no sure loss in the Big Ten title game, presumably against Ohio State, right? I would have taken 9-3 and three with a Citrus Bowl or a ReliQuest Bowl, probably, um, even if you don't get to Indy. Because you got that marquee win that really would have gotten the fan base and probably recruits as well excited. Now, I don't think that losing by one point is all of a sudden going to turn off Jair Hill. you know, And he's going to say, that's it. It's decided. I'm going to Michigan. But it does help when you just get the W because at the end of the day, the the margin of one doesn't mean a whole lot for Michigan. They're eleven and zero. You know they're still going to be the the story all week leading up to the Ohio State game. We could have flipped that a little bit, and Michigan still would have had something to play for. You know if they would have beaten Ohio State, then they would have went to Indy with a chance to win an Indy and I guess go to the college football playoff as a twelve and one team. Probably would have been controversial, but if they beat Ohio State, what's the difference if they lost Illinois? So you could argue who needed that win more. Well, I can say from my perspective, I know who needed that win more. It was interesting how, not in any sort of pitying sort of way, I I did not feel at all patronized by Kara's family, but Ryan, my brother-in-law, was like, man, I'm sorry, it sucks. And you might kind of scoff at that, this notion of a Michigan fan empathizing with an Illinois fan because it's two completely different realities in terms of our football fandom. But even though, and I can speak to this as a Yankees fan, even though the expectations are different, those fan bases know disappointment and emptiness too. They have more at stake, and we would long to have games that mean that much more often, like a Michigan football does or a New York Yankees baseball does. But they felt emptiness too, so I think that he can empathize with that because for him, I could sense that that game and winning that game was more like taking a dump, (laughs) like... Okay, it's over. And I'm I'm sorry for the visual, but that's what it was like. It wasn't exaltation and joy for Michigan fans. It was relief. It's over. We survived that one. Okay, live to see another day, which is good enough. I I would take that. I would have had more than relief. I would have had jubilation. Now, I would not have shared it that much outwardly, but the plan was this. Had Illinois won, and this is why I always hate, oh, man, all the fun. The plan was this. I would have done an emergency podcast. Kara already knew that I was going to drive to Ann Arbor, find some bar to go to, uh, to meet with Alex Rue at, at BTN, and have a couple in downtown Ann Arbor to celebrate this absolutely bizarro occurrence. Didn't happen. Um, still had a great weekend. It did not blemish it, but there, that's, that sense of emptiness was there for hours. 
And eventually Saturday night, I was like, I, you know, I'm going to bed. Kind of depressing sounding, I know, but that's sports, you know. So when you are invested in it, even though I woke up Saturday saying, hey, let's just see what happens, the game happens, and then you get wrapped up in it. How could you not on Saturday? I'm texting my dad, and I'm in the same boat as he is. He says, like, my palms are sweating right now. I'm tense. And I said, ditto. This is incredible. Like, I, I think we're going to do this. It would have completely, I think, nullified the Michigan State and Purdue game. Again, regardless if you didn't go to Indy, who cares? You would have beaten the number three team in the country. It would have reestablished this as a great season. Well, okay, that's gone. So long-winded way to say, Big Tota, I agree. You know, if we don't consider eight or nine win seasons a success around here, then what are we doing? So while the Michigan State game, I said that was a great reset for me. Okay, reset it. You aren't going to go to the college football playoff. Well, sad to say, after a three-game losing streak, you reset yet again. But I don't know if that's so much a bad thing. I think for a fan base, realizing that you need to embrace victories as they come, one by one, and not see the forest for the trees. Is this the correct analogy to use in this case? In other words, I know how I felt about Minnesota that day. And what I began doing that afternoon, the minute that I booked a hotel in Indy, just, it was refundable, so I don't think I jinxed them. I don't believe in jinxes, but I was looking ahead. And I let the next few weeks become the singular focus of, okay, December 3rd, December 3rd. Okay, what Florida place are we going to? And while that was the likely outcome, and as fans, we can do that, I noticed it wasn't the healthiest thing for me either. I was starting to lose the enjoyment of the individual games. Take Nebraska, for example, where it was more of a sense of relief than it was a sense of joy. And that it was just checking one off for the inevitable march to Indy. You know, where this football program has been, I don't know if that's the healthiest approach. And with Northwestern on Saturday, I hope it's an afterthought. I hope when I tune in at 2.30 and we're decorating for Christmas, and I may or may not do a second half pod, but, you know, we'll see how people are feeling. It's a holiday weekend, so I might just wait until brunch club on Sunday. But, yeah, just enjoy the game for what it is. I enjoyed the game Saturday for what it was. And yes, I left feeling super freaking empty, but it wasn't three and a half hours poorly spent. It was three and a half hours that told me this is dramatic improvement. Sometimes when you take the win and loss out of it, which I know is kind of silly to do because it's sports, it's about winning and losing, but this is year two of a coaching staff where a year ago, not much longer than a calendar year ago, you lost at home to Wisconsin 28 to nothing, and they outgained you 4 to 1, and it was an embarrassment. You looked as bad as most Lovey Smith teams. And basically, 13 months later, you go on the road to a team that is vying for a college football title. We know they probably won't get it, but that's what they are. They're number three. They got a number one vote in the AP poll. I don't buy that, but hey, whatever. And you went into their place, and you were leading in the fourth quarter until their kicker gets a game winning field goal. Would I prefer the win? Hell yes. But where we're at, don't we need to celebrate even those little victories too? If this becomes the norm where you disappointingly lose games, and someone argued, there was someone uh, that, that tweeted out, hey, going back to the Maryland and Purdue games last year, and you can add the Rutgers game last year in that, going back to Indiana, and going back to Michigan State and Purdue, is this, is this a trend? I understand why that person would argue it, and there are reasons to argue that because this team has not been putting games away like they should have 
But I don't know if I lump a game at Michigan in that same camp. I think this is a bounce back game. And as a friend of mine who I go to all these Dave shows with, he's a Buckeyes fan. He made the point on Twitter in a reply, and I, it wasn't he wasn't trying to be snarky. He was like, hey, listen, like it was a valiant effort, but this is just one of those cases where a program that's been doing it year after year and gets a few recruiting classes in, they have the depth that can withstand losing a Blake Corum. They have the depth that can withstand losing a, uh, in Illinois' case, uh, losing a Taz Nicholson. No problem. We got another guy that can go in there. I mean, you see all these different plays that allowed Michigan to stay in the game. And at the end of the day, you know you got some studs, but you don't have as many as Michigan. And it did feel like we were kind of keeping them at arm's length and, God, just get one more play, one more play. But it always felt like even when Corum went out and even that their second running back out, it was still Michigan. And they aren't the sexiest Michigan team ever, but they're still number three in the nation and and pretty much unanimously so. So I think we should also maybe celebrate some of those little moral victories. I would not have called Indiana, Michigan State, or Purdue moral victories. And that, I think, is another sign of progress. That last year, the game at Iowa, it felt like maybe not a moral victory, but you competed for a good chunk of that game and felt like you were a couple plays away from having a chance to win it. But, of course, you didn't. That was a moral victory for that team that year. This feels like the first moral victory of this year in year two of Brett Bielema, and that suggests to me progress on its own. So I think it's it's a balancing act. On one hand, it sucks. On the other hand, there are positives to be gained from it. And here's what is somewhat exciting. They can end this season the right way on Saturday. They can. And I remember last year when they played Northwestern, you're four and seven, and you don't really have anything to play for. I guess the outside chance of... Uh, you know, being one of those five and seven teams that gets in on the APR into a random bowl game. There was that outside chance, but other than that, they had to find the intrinsic motivation to go out and stop Northwestern, and they did. Well, the intrinsic motivation is still going to have to drive them on Saturday. I mean, to them, what is the difference? The Duke Duke's Mayo Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl, or if you win, the Music City Bowl. Well, you aren't going to Florida, probably. You are not going to go to Indy, and that will probably be resolved by the time you go on the field on Saturday. So what do you have to play for? Well, this is going to be a test of the coaching staff. And they had them ready for a Michigan game that, to me, it, the only thing to play for in the Michigan game was a random upset that you feel really good about because Indy still felt far away. It felt unlikely made all the more unlikely by Iowa winning. And they found some intrinsic motivation to go into Michigan and damn near get it. They damn near got it. I think they do the same on Saturday. Now, my gut feeling told me on Saturday that they would compete, have a chance to win. I had this weird feeling. It was there, and damn it, it almost proved to be true. My gut feeling tells me they go in and they run Northwestern. Run them. In front of what, 7,000 people, holiday weekend. The weather will be decent, but Northwestern fans have checked out a long time ago, and hopefully some nice Illinois fans spotted throughout. I'm not going to make the trek up there. I'm going to enjoy a, a, a travel free weekend and save those pennies for the Music City Bowl because I think if you beat Northwestern, that is the likely outcome. Iowa goes to ReliaQuest, assuming they win against Nebraska. They probably will. They are a, a safe bet for a ReliaQuest Bowl that's looking to draw people. Iowa fans travel better than Illinois. They just do. So Music City Bowl would then have to decide between what? Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota. I don't know. We'll see. 
I, I think that Illinois would be the better draw for them for a fan base that hasn't went to a bowl game in a while. I don't know if Purdue's been in the Music City Bowl, and I don't know if anyone in the chat window can tell me who has Purdue played or what bowl games have they played in recently. They won nine games last year. So was it the ReliQuest Outback Bowl, whatever that's called now? Okay, uh, let's see here. Take a drink of my coffee. I want to hit up the uh, chat right here. and I'm, I haven't even talked to Illinois basketball yet. I will get to it. And it's so weird to be postponing that conversation because what a weekend. I know what happened yesterday to Virginia, but I'm extremely excited about Illinois basketball. Okay, this is from Michael Gerard. Hey, Michael. Eight and four is very successful. A great base to build a program on. I'm excited for the direction. I thought we'd get seven, so it hurts to know that we had a team that's better than the record. Michael, let's let's talk about that real quick. You know, first off, I said seven and five before the season. Then you got seven and one. At that point, I thought ten and two, but then I made a prediction they'd win out. Whoops. However, eight and four, and Trevor and Isaac and I were texting about this. Trevor said eight and four is an A. It's not a B plus. It's an A. Just because you started seven and one, and I know Big Tota, you were talking about expectations change, and yeah, that's true. And you mentioned. If we don't consider eight or nine win seasons a success, well, this is year two of Bielema. I think Big Tota, you and Trevor are on the same wavelength. Eight and four is an A. It's an A, plain and simple. A plus would have been nine and three or anything greater. And despite how you ended the season and the disappointments of Purdue specifically, this is year two. So I'm trying to I'm trying to balance these things. It certainly is confounding, right? I mean, this is a team that I do think when all is said and done, Michael. You know, you mentioned a team that's better than their record. I think we're regressing to the mean just at the wrong half of the season. We're regressing to the mean when it hurts the most. And that if they were were to have went on this win streak at the end of the season, it feels completely different. I know how September and October felt. It was magical. It was just incredible. And then you hit November and then everything just kind of went to crap. And the last three weeks have really hurt. But I think this team essentially is what their record is. I think seven and four, when you look at the Iowa game, that could have went the other way. Very easily that could have went the other way. In terms of wins, I don't know. Every other win was pretty, pretty staunch. So that I, I think seven and four is actually accurate to what this team is. And eight and four will be pretty damn good because seven and five, Michael, it sounds like you were agree agreeing with that prediction and Eight and four tells us that they were better than what we thought they were. And eight and four is pretty good, man. If you would have told me eight and four, I would have been absolutely over the moon. So I want to get back to that and and correctly frame this. Okay, this is from Big Tota. I would assume it would put worry in their minds that the Ohio State game is going to be very difficult and that they themselves are overrated. Um let's see here. Are are you talking about Michigan here? Uh Big Tota? I was wondering what effect myself, you know, I was thinking, what effect is that Ohio State game going to have on Michigan last Saturday? I think Michigan started playing tight. And it was interesting to hear Michigan fans, you know, and it was just casual conversation. They were not trying to do this in a demeaning way, but they thought they played like garbage. And in a way, they kind of did, right? Um, and Illinois had had something to do with that. But J.J. McCarthy missed some throws. He made, of course, just enough plays to win. That's what makes it so maddening. You needed Michigan to be off in order to spring the upset. You had something to do with them being off. But I think Michigan fans would say they've looked far better this year, even against, let's say, a Penn State, that I think we'd agree Penn State's better than Illinois. They would beat Illinois 
seven times out of ten. Um, but yeah, I think Michigan will bounce back against Ohio State. I think the spread is too much. Um, I don't. Why do? Why should we buy Ohio State either? I I know they can score, but there's something about the Ryan Day experience that does not put the fear of God into opponents. Yeah, they can score 35 points at the drop of a hat, but look at Maryland. Hell of an effort by Maryland. And, you know, Mike Loxley has a weird kind of thing going on out there. They're, they're decent. Like, it's not bad to be a Maryland football fan, but I just, it, I, they will be very happy when there's realignment, as they should be. Okay, this is from Ron Davis. Is your intro, oh, thanks, Ron. Is your intro into this pod from any particular song? It always gets me hype listening to the show. Ron, that's very nice of you to say. It is a decadent song. It's a demo, actually, and we're going to spend a lot of Thanksgiving and winter break getting, I don't know if you guys can see it in the video, but behind me is the drum set. We're going to get the drummer's drum set in here. We're going to get the bass player in here. We're going to put the full album together. That is track two from the soon-to-be-released fifth Decadence album, and it's got a very like ACDC thing going. So yeah, that's, that's my demo that I recorded here in this very same studio. That's very nice of you, Ron. I appreciate that. Okay, this is from Michael. We can go 2-0, come in ranked next year. I'll go to Nashville, Tennessee happily. Here's the thing about Nashville, Michael. One, it's a great city. Two, it's New Year's Eve in Nashville. I've already been looking at hotels. Uh, and if you want to stay downtown, it's a little bit pricey. But if you go a mile west to the Vanderbilt area, or if you go out by the airport, which is a 10-minute drive, then it's it's not that bad, especially if you're splitting with people. So I already got one friend that's on. I got another friend who has family that lives down there. So we feel like we'd have a tailgate crew. And I got to be honest, Michael, I'm rooting for the Music City Bowl. It's not a bad bowl game to be in. New Year's Eve, you'll get a lot of eyes watching you. It's the first game on New Year's Eve. And you'd play an SEC team that you could beat. So a lot of projections today have had Illinois in the Music City Bowl. I think if you win on Saturday, that's what you will get is the Music City Bowl because then they choose between Minnesota and Purdue and Illinois. I think they choose Illinois. I just a hunch for a team that hasn't been in the bowl game and they think would travel those five hours. Uh, let's see here from Kay Andrew. P.S. If we beat Northwestern, and both Michigan and Ohio State somehow make the playoff, we could still move up a slot to get picked in better than Duke's Mayo and Music City. Still a chance there. Okay. What would have to happen here? So I think Ohio State losing to Michigan needs to happen. And then Michigan wins in Indy. Michigan gets the two. Ohio State gets the four. College football playoffs. Penn State goes to the Rose Bowl. And then... Iowa goes to Citrus, I, you know, and then you're looking at ReliaQuest. I don't think you can get above ReliaQuest. I think I'd go to Tampa. I mean, shoot. How can you say no to that? So you're right. Uh, I, I do think that K. Andrew, that is a possibility. Maybe not likely, but uh, yeah, you. we'll see how that shakes out. I, I'm hoping not Duke's Mayo. Where is Duke's Mayo? Was that Charlotte? If someone could help me out. I'm hoping definitely not pinstripe. I say that as a Yankees fan. I don't want to be in a cold weather. Like, why Why do that, though? Okay, Big Toto, thanks for the tip here. Nashville's a blast, but Ubers can be quite expensive out of the downtown area. Yeah, so in a way, Big Toto, it's almost more worth it to just pay the extra money to stay walking distance. I'd take the car down. I'd have the tailgate supplies to get to the Titan Stadium. First thing, New Year's Eve morning. Make a day of it. Probably go back and take a nap. Before you head back out for New Year's Eve, these, you know, I can't do it like I used to. Basically like a good old unofficial St. Patrick's Day, but 
instead in Nashville, which the further south you go, the stronger the drinks get. I can't explain it. Well, I think that's good for football, right? I mean, good Lord, how we're 40 minutes in. <laughs> how deep are we into this? And I've spent this entire time talking football. And if you guys have any more thoughts on football, YouTube Live, let me know. Let's talk basketball before we get out of here. That was a successful weekend. Any way you dice it. You know, Friday was one of the most fun times I've had watching a non-conference game in a while because non-conference games at the end of the day, what do they mean? You know, you get the enjoyment, but there's not any sort of, I shouldn't say there's not any sort of, but there's less of a long lasting effect because you aren't really playing for a banner. I know you were playing for a belt in this Vegas tournament, but you aren't playing for a banner yet. These are like cherries on top. These are fun little moments you get in November, December. There's always the fun of getting a big win by holiday season, which is why bragging rights is always such an important game. Some of my favorite Illini games of all time include, let's say, beating Arizona at the United Center back in 2000. That was just a hell of a lot of fun. The Seton Hall game earlier that December. Uh, there are certain teams that build up uh, Gonzaga in 04, Thanksgiving weekend, right? Building up these marquee wins, Wake Forest, well, you got a marquee win. UCLA will go into the Pac-12 and have a lot of success, and they will play their way into a three or four seed. Okay, there's a marquee win that you got two weeks into the season before you have truly coalesced into the team that you're going to be. One win out in Vegas was going to be a success. You got one. And the team that you lost to vaulted all the way up to number five in the rankings, and I don't think Virginia is going to relinquish that. We know they're one of the best coach teams in the nation. We saw with our own eyes, they're pretty damn talented. You know, unlike maybe some past Virginia teams early in Tony Bennett, like the pre-national title team, those teams were not always the most athletic. They just really were, were coached to the absolute peak of what they could be. This Virginia team does seem to have an even higher ceiling than most. They're old. They're athletic. They got size. They really shut down Terrence Shannon Jr. Credit to them. And that was the difference in the game because when Terrence Shannon scores nine and yet you're up two with three and a half to go, you had a chance. Which tells me that even though it was a loss, you know, I walked back in. We, were, we had just sat down for Thanksgiving dinner and Kara's family's like, so how, did they win? And I said, nah, they lost by nine. And they at this point, they felt so bad for me. It's like, no, it's don't pity me. It's fine. And I said, honestly, I'm not even mad. I don't think many Illinois fans were mad. Yeah, you know, you could have closed out the game better, but it's so unencumbering, if that's a word, to watch a team figure themselves out after they got a marquee win. They already got the win against UCLA. Virginia was the cherry on top. And they looked good for a good chunk of that game. And the moments they didn't look good feel fixable. They feel fixable, specifically consistent consistency on offense and figuring out if Terrence Shannon isn't going to get you a shot, who is? Well, Jaden Epps can get you a shot. Dane Danger started to get it going in the second half. He'll get you a shot. There are concerns, and I'll get to that in a second, but that was a fruitful weekend. You're 16th in the nation. I think most people that have watched other Big Ten teams would consider you a favorite in the Big Ten. Michigan State's been interesting, no doubt. I mean, they're higher ranked than you because of that Kentucky win, though Kentucky got smoked by Gonzaga yesterday. So what's going on with them? Michigan sucks. They, I'm sorry, as if we're surprised that Jawan Howard is not really coaching him up. I know that Jawan Howard has not been to any less than a Sweet 16. There are worse coaches than Jawan Howard. But I'm seeing this thing on, on sports reddits and sports message boards, this idea that certain coaches are born on third base. 
And that gets said of Ryan Day at Ohio State. That gets said of Juwan Howard inheriting John Beeline's program. I think there's a little bit of truth to that. So Michigan's not a threat for the Big Ten. They aren't. They'll win some games. They could beat Illinois, but they are not a threat for the Big Ten. Indiana looks pretty good. I'll give them credit. They look better than I thought. Xavier winning at Xavier, not an easy not an easy game. Uh, and I'm sure that was a tough environment. So they will get theirs and they'll be in the race, though I don't count on them to ultimately close it out. But this Illinois team, there's not going to be hardly any game where I think they're out of it. They're down 15 to a UCLA team that has two fourth, fifth-year seniors, right, that have been there forever, that have been in a national title game, or Final Four, excuse me, Sweet 16 last year. They got the pedigree, and they have some McDonald's All-Americans on their team to boot, and you blitz them. You blitz them in the second half. It was one of the most impressive halves I've seen from Illinois basketball in this Brad Underwood era. And there's been some good teams in this Brad Underwood era, but there's something about this group I love the comfort with which the freshmen are playing. Ty Rogers is still figuring things out. It's surprising that of the four, he's the one that doesn't have a role yet. Jaden Epps has a role. He is, after Terrence Shannon Jr., I think, the best scorer on the team. And you might think that's not good when a freshman is the second best scorer on the team. He's not a freshman in anything but name. Or age, I should say. He's not a freshman in anything but age. He plays like a upperclassman guard. He is legit. And he did it against two legit teams in UCLA and Virginia. He was phenomenal. And I know the shot selection wasn't great weight against Virginia. But at least the kid's aggressive. He has no fear. And I love that kid. I mean, I knew Jaden Epps was maybe the sneaky guy. You know, Sincere Harris was going to be the scrappy guy. But in terms of the sneaky guy that could actually be productive on offense... Jaden Epps kept being known as a bucket getter. He's certainly that, but it seems like even more than just a bucket getter. Sky Clark, I think overall a good weekend for him. There were moments where he maybe wasn't his best, but there is, again, this comfort and this maturity that he plays with that belies his age. Terrence Shannon Jr. is a star. He learned something yesterday. That's okay. This is his first year's alpha dog. I'm not worried that the one-off game he's had so far is against Virginia because God knows Virginia is elite. And um, what else here? Dane Danger, stud. Let's talk some issues, though. Now, I, there was a big kerfuffle on Twitter on Friday when I called out Coleman Hawkins in the first half. And I called him out by name, and let's get this out of the way. In determining whether it's appropriate or not to call out players, I, I didn't really used to feel comfortable with that. And I'm still wrestling with that idea. And as a 36-year-old, maybe I should be the mature one here and not do it. However... Coleman was very bad in the first half on Friday. Very bad. Don't you think Coleman would admit that himself? I also tweeted in the second half, he bounced back. The tweet that got a lot of attention, including from Coleman's sister, you know, getting the family a little bit angry, sorry, Hawkins family, was I referenced the spring press conference he had where he was questioning the transfers that would come in or not come in. And, you know, it, it was a really weird press conference back in the spring where it was half well, I hope I'm not getting recruited over, and then half, well, uh, we'll see what kind of talent the coaches bring in. It, it was very odd. Coleman is someone that strikes me, and Brad Underwood has seemed to allude to this. Coleman's personality is a bit hot and cold. We saw a player last year struggle to find his role, and then by the end of the season was spectacular. You know, you don't win the Big Ten title without Coleman Hawkins, especially in that Iowa game. And a lot of those things that he does well is what he did well in the second half 
against UCLA, what he did well at parts against Virginia. But I don't think any of us, if we're really being honest with ourselves, would say that Coleman has been as good as he probably needs to be for this team to really reach that ceiling. The inconsistency has been there just like it was at parts of his sophomore year. There is more maturity. There is a guy that can kind of play point forward, the likes of which we haven't seen in Illinois. The skill set is there. And I think overall, the moxie is there more now than it was last year. But I called him out in the first half. It got quite the response. And even in the next day as I'm watching the football game, I'm, I'm getting these notifications. And I'm like, hey, lady, I'm watching the football game. I'm done with the, the Taylor the Taylor Hawkins. That's his sister's name, I believe. I'm done with the Coleman Hawkins thing. And uh, l- listen, you know, for families or, or for players that get criticized, I could be the more mature 36-year-old and not do it. There's no doubt. But this is part of the game. This is big boy basketball. You know, this is a program that makes millions and now the players can get a piece of that cut. And while it still is more amateur than professional sports in many ways, uh, I, I don't know if it is quite as taboo to criticize the performance of a player that is getting compensated now. And, and this is something chat thread and listeners, I mean, I think this is kind of a new conversation here. And I don't think I'm doing this to try to excuse a bad tweet or anything. I don't know if it was that bad of a tweet. You know, I really thought it was unbecoming when Coleman came out in the spring and had that press conference. I thought, who do you think you are? (laughs) You haven't proved really anything yet. You've had some good moments. We expect you to be a really good player. There's no reason that you shouldn't be. Um, But it was just an unbecoming press conference. And that was, you could say that my biggest fault in tweeting that out was it was making it personal when really the issue was Coleman in that first half was not playing well. And that may have had not a damn thing to do with the press conference back in March or April. That is a fair criticism of that tweet. But I certainly wasn't alone in criticizing Coleman. And I mean, come on, the eye test. That was a bad first half. It got you in a hole. And fortunately, Coleman and his defense, along with Sincere Harris, helped get you out of it. But I don't know. Is it okay to criticize revenue sport athletes that are making NIL money now? I I don't know. I, I don't plan on doing it very much. I know that... I was running a little bit hot in that first half of the UCLA game when it felt like this is winnable. Don't blow this veteran that should be better than what he is right now. That that was the mindset, and that is probably some immaturity on my part. But also, who who searches out tweets? Like, here's the thing: if I if I had a sibling that was playing high level sports, I think I just come to the realization that you know they're going to have people criticizing them. I mean, there were moments where Georgie Bashanishvili was getting booed at the State Farm Center in 2020. You know, it doesn't make it right, but this is this is sports. It happens. So what is Georgie's mom going to do? Go, you know, wag her finger at every person in the crowd that's groaning when Georgie just randomly, you know, flails his arms in the air and, and causes another turnover? What, what? No, this is, this is sports. This happens. Now let's see what you guys think about this. Uh, let's see here. This is from Brandon. I think the switching everything defense helps the team, but limits Coleman's effectiveness as a rim protector when he's out on the perimeter. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, 
I'm still kind of figuring out this defensive identity for the team and the pressure thing. You aren't going to see that like Arkansas 40 minutes of hell. We saw that the second half against UCLA. I think it's an effective tool in the toolbox, but mostly the length and athleticism allows them to switch. I think that's a decent point though, Brandon. Uh, let's see here. Oh, big Toto says buy that number one Jersey. Now carp, you know, you want to number one is of course, sky, isn't it? Is this no, or is it sincere Harris? Sincere is 11. With a headband. Number one, that's Sky Clark. See, I'm still learning this, the jersey numbers. I do like Sky. Uh, just Moxie, I've already used that word today, but there is a Moxie he plays with. And we got to remember, he hasn't played a ton of ball in the last two years because of his injury. Oh, that, that's Harris's number. He's number one. Dude, Big Toad, if I could buy a number one Harris jersey, I think I would. Absolutely love that kid. And in on Saturday, waking up and seeing the the post, that's right, Sky is 55. And seeing the post-game celebration video that they tweeted out, I love those. Sincere just looks like a nice kid. And I say kid because he's literally half my age. Scary. But he just looks like a nice kid who happens to be a bulldog on the court. He is everybody's fan favorite. And he deserves to be because he's playing his butt off and he's talented. And there's nothing to keep him from becoming a star in his own way. You know, there what's the ceiling on a kid that plays that hard and has the skill that he does at that young age? I don't know what the ceiling is. He's not the tallest guy, so that that hurts. But as a college basketball player, there are a few freshmen I'd rather have on our side than Sincere Harris. He's already found a role. That's not easy for freshmen to do. I love that. This is from Jared. Coleman seemed to have negative body language in the first game. Just me. In the first half of the first game, Jared, that's what I think it is too. This intangible, oh God, is this mopey Coleman again? Because there were mopey moments last year. We we all saw it. And we were rooting for him. But it can also be frustrating when you see an athlete at that level. You think, oh man, if I were in that place, I'd be giving it 100%. And of course, that may not be true. These guys work their ass off. Coleman works his ass off harder than anything I've had to work for. Okay. If I'm being quite honest, I've never had to put in the hours at something that Coleman has to become as good of a basketball player as he has. So I respect the heck out of that, but there was a body language thing. There were the turnovers. There was the overall messiness where I'm getting random texts from friends saying, what's going on with Coleman? That was bad. And then he was better in the second half. You still want more, though. You know, not that he doesn't need to drop 20 plus like the first game, but you do need more consistency scoring wise because he can do all the little things. But eventually, if we're talking future NBA player, it needs to be more than that sometimes, too. Uh, this is from Big Tota. Oh, this is from Big Tota. Didn't see the tweet, but even though they are being compensated to some degree, they are 18 to 22 year olds. Constructive criticism goes a lot farther. And I will say this, Big Tota, it wasn't constructive. So, <laughs> in defense of in defense of Coleman's sister or, or or fans of Coleman, was it constructive? No, it wasn't. Oh, doggone it! Coleman's playing a little messy right now. But boy, if he did this or that, it'd be a lot better. No, listen, this is. Maybe when I'm 50, I'll finally get, I'll, I'll finally find that nice little niche of being the very even-keeled, chill fan. I've gotten better to the point where, uh, you know, Kara's family said Sunday, like, wow, you know, like, do you, are, are you angry after a loss like that? I said, I used to be. I used to be. I used to break things and put holes in walls like a like an angry little kid. I think I'm getting better at it, but lapses in judgment so yeah if that that tweet was maybe you know i can get a little bit bullheaded if that tweet was immature 
And if it were to have struck a chord with Coleman or people that know him, for that I'll apologize because what's the point? What's the what? What good did I do in sending that tweet out? In this climate of of Twitter, where there's already enough negativity, did did it do anything good? And it certainly didn't do anything constructive, Big Tota. So, um, I appreciate that point. This is from Brandon Harris. Wanted to jam one of those fast break opportunities, but remembered he was zero for four on dunks. He'll get there though. He will. He will, and it will be a big moment when he does. Uh, which is surprising because some of his attempts on defenders look really athletic. They do, Brandon, and he's got athleticism, but I think it's the height. And from Jared, can't wait for Goody to be back. Just another player that could really put us on another level. A shot maker, Jared. 3 and D guy. Can never use too many of those. And he will be back when it matters the most. And you won't need to say, okay, look, Goody, play 20 minutes a game. It'll be eight. It'll be spot minutes. Well, that's a pretty good guy to put out there in spot minutes. So, and, and you will not redshirt him. Now, if he can play, you're going to play him because this is a team that can make a run, and you want all hands on deck. And you got to turn that talent in and out, and that's what Brad Underwood's doing. It's it's a healthy basketball program, as healthy as it's been long-term, short and long-term since the early 2000s. So enjoy. I sure as heck am. All right, well, that was a longer podcast than I anticipated, I think, right? Yeah, about the usual. Uh, I want to thank you all on YouTube Live for tuning in on this Monday evening on, on a holiday week. And in, in thinking of what we're going to do the rest of the week, I'm going to go to the game with a buddy on Friday. Excited for that. Lindenwood won't be the most competitive affair, but it's just fun to watch this team play. And then Saturday, the game is at 2.30. So in determining whether or not to do a second half pod... Go to Huber's second half pod. I'm hoping for a blowout. Go to Huber's. In which case, if it is a blowout, I may not wait until the fourth quarter, maybe just do a third quarter or halftime. You know, this should be a blowout for Illinois football. I think while you could argue that they are down and and depressed after everything that's won against them, I actually think this is a team that will be looking for someone to unload on. And what better opportunity than Saturday? And whatever intrinsic motivation they had against Northwestern last year, I think they can dredge that up again, and they will want to win with some style points. So you're healthy, relatively speaking. The areas in which you were not healthy are your secondary, and that shouldn't bite you against Northwestern. And they might try to muck it up early, but eventually you should be able to break through. So just smoke them. Not even going to make a score prediction. Just smoke them. Uh, let's see here. Okay, Andrew, was, you were the same way temper-wise. I probably never should have gotten into sports, but here we are. I'm improving. No longer a sports rageaholic and no longer addicted to rageahol. I'm getting there. I'm feeling better. There was one moment in the Michigan game, fourth and three. And, of course, that was the one that got tweeted out by Bielema. It looked like a pick play. Probably was a pick play. Didn't get called. And in the moment, I didn't even think of the pick play. I just know they converted the fourth and three, knowing that, oh my God, like right before that play starts, you have that moment of realization that if you get the stop, you win. If you get the stop, you win. And he didn't. And fortunately, you know, Kara's mom was walking the dog. <laughs> Kara's dad was out checking something in the garage. I love this very, you know, percussive f-, f word. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. So fortunately, the... Uh, Father and mother-in-law did not hear that, but uh, I think that Kara and her sister and brother-in-law were understanding about that because that was the game. Yeah, you know, like that was it, and it knew that oh no, they're gonna go down and kick the field goal, aren't they? And they did. But you know what? 
We'll see you another day. All right, DP Doe, I'm on to dpdoe.com. That's dpdoe.com. Rector Construction, I'm on to R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call today at 841-4728. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life Auto Home Business Renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. Com. For Lana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, appreciate their partnership and appreciate you, YouTube viewers and listeners at home. We will be back, if not on Saturday, on Sunday. Let's see how the game goes Saturday. We're all enjoying our holiday weekend, and uh, I'm thinking we'll wait until a Sunday brunch club. But I hope you have a great Thanksgiving week and a great time with your family. We're, we're fortunate enough to celebrate with Kara's family this last weekend and my family this weekend and enjoy the warmer, not frigid temperatures. It was so nice to come back to 50 degrees. I'm going to enjoy this week for that at least. But um, let's get an easy win against Lindenwood, and let's just smoke Northwestern and have a fun talk when we get back on Sunday. In the meantime, have a great Thanksgiving, everybody, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.